and welcome to Polly Pages. Books. <laughs> the podcast where genuine Polly people read the texts that have shaped our community and culture. I'm Sebastian. I'm Matt. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, a city ordinance which was recently passed in Somerville, Massachusetts, which changed the definition of domestic partnerships to include uh, polyamorous relationships and other relationships that have more than two people in them. Um, but before we talk about that, Matt, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and introduce yourself for us? Yeah, of course. My name is Matthew. I'm a Somerville resident. I also happen to be a lawyer. Um, I've been living in Somerville for five-ish years now in, in a polyamorous relationship or relationships, depending on the, the month that you might talk to me. Um, yeah, and I've been practicing law in the area for about the past 10 years. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, yeah, so there is this ordinance, um, which was recently passed, I think, two weeks ago now. Is that right? Something like that, yes. And so my understanding is it's the first of its kind in the in the U.S., which makes it possible and like legally recognized in Somerville, at least, to be engaged in a polyamorous relationship. Is that, is that a fair summary? I'd say that's, that's a summary. It's, it's a reasonable summary. Um, but before I, before I say anything to get myself in trouble, just to, to let everybody know, I'm not a family law expert and I'm definitely not a scholar on the legal intricacies of polyamorous relationships. Um, I just happen to be a polyamorous person who's a lawyer who lives in Somerville. Um, that said, I'm going to say a bunch of things that are partially wrong. I'm certain um, but this ordinance specifically, um, it recognizes, it allows people to declare a domestic partnership with more than one other person. So two, instead of two being three to four or five people, or theoretically as many people as you might want to. Um, now, if that, you know, doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, a legal recognition of a relationship broader than just the fact that you're applying to the, the city to say that we're in this domestic partnership. Um, but it does seem to be the first of its kind that allows for a relationship that's in any sort of the way recognized or registered with the state for more than two consenting adults. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, <laughs> it, I have very little, as a disclaimer, in addition for everybody, I have almost no legal knowledge. So I'm coming at this purely from sort of a news standpoint, um, which is why it's great to have, have you on here to talk about even just to have a better understanding of how these things work. So, you know, from your perspective, I guess, I mean, if it is the first of its kind, do you, do you think, well, what do you think the impact of it could be for people in, in a not, you know, in a, any kind of polyamorous relationship or even in a different relationship? Like, do you think it's really going to impact people? Yeah. So this is a ordinance that was passed for a very specific reason. So, um, I did happen to, to, you know, in preparation for this, I gave JT Scott a call who happens to be a, you know, a local city councilman in Somerville and just chatted with him a little bit about this. And, and the impetus for this being passed was COVID-19. Um, the, the problem, the immediate problem was that there are a lot of people in Somerville who live in um, non-traditional relationships, whether they be romantic polyamorous relationships or just collections of people who live together, who've, you know, maybe are, are elderly and, and consider each other a family, but they don't have any blood relationship or romantic relationship. And 
people are getting sick and they're going into the hospital. And that creates a very specific problem, which is that you can't see someone who's just a friend in the hospital if they're unconscious and they can't consent to that. And domestic partnerships in Somerville and generally broadly wherever they exist, one of the key features of them is that you can go see somebody that is a part of your family um, without them having to give verbal consent or written consent to the hospital. And the implications of that brought, you know, broader than just visiting the hospital are really unknown at this point. Um, so it's a very specific need that was being addressed, but the implications of that, of whether or not you're going to be able to get partner healthcare benefits for more than one person, or whether or not the state is going to recognize any sort of um, family medical leave, or, or whether or not it could be more broadly applicable to private insurance or, or private um, private contracts that might require a domestic partnership declaration is, is honestly really unknown. No, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that right now. Okay. That's really, I mean, that's really good context. I think I didn't realize I read like some news articles about it and stuff and definitely didn't maybe piece all together that it really was tied to COVID. So I guess we can find some small positive kind of, it's a little silver lining on COVID. Um, but I guess that's a really good point. Sort of two things you said. One, that it's not necessarily for romantic relationships, which I think is what a lot of people might assume um, that it's when they when it says domestic partnership. Um, and that, you know, the really the, the root cause of it at the moment is a really specific situation. So there's a lot of unknowns about it, um, which sort of brought me to another question, which you've kind of addressed. But if this is in Somerville specifically, presumably if you were to enter in a domestic partnership uh, that fell under this wouldn't necessarily have the same, um, you know, benefits if you were to leave Somerville. Or does this really only apply to if you're in Somerville, then this can be observed? Sure. I mean, a lot of these things are really unknown. But the but the ordinance is specifically for Somerville residents to be able to declare a domestic partnership for you know family relationships that are within the city of Somerville. Um, and so it's really unclear once you leave the city to what extent those could be applicable. Outside of the state of Massachusetts, it's definitely not going to be applicable at all. Um, within the state of Massachusetts, you know, I'm not a family law expert, so I, I don't know the intricacies of how the state law percolates down into local city ordinances for declaring domestic partnerships. I do know that there is one particular instance where this could be applicable, which is um, which is obligatory family medical leave. So. In Massachusetts, if you have a sick family member, where, whether it be a spouse or a parent or a child, there are specific relationships where employers are required to allow you to take medical leave, to take care of one of those people. And that statute piggybacks off of domestic partnership registrations. And this is the first time in Massachusetts that a domestic partnership registration has included a family unit of more than two consenting adults that are not a blood relationship. And frankly, that's just, nobody knows what that's going to look like yet. Um, it, by the letter of the law, in, in my, you know, <laughs> relatively layman's terms, since I'm not a family lawyer, it sounds like it should be applicable that, you, you know, if you declared a domestic partnership in, in Somerville, that Massachusetts would uh, require that any employer outside of Somerville even to give you that opportunity to go take care of that family relationship. Um, but it's really just an unknown. I think once you move out of Somerville, um, you know, the question of whether or not you can maintain any of those rights uh, is probably, you know, unlikely, but, I, you know, it's just a really hard question right now because this this is the first of its kind in Massachusetts. I read an article or two that said it might be the first of its kind in the world, or at least within Europe and, Mass and the United States. Um, 
So it's really just unknown right now. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, as my thought is, I mean, that makes sense. And it's so hard. I mean, we're really talking about just a few weeks since this happened. Um, so I'm sure that as time moves on, maybe we'll, we'll get to see more discussion about it and actually see how it's put into practice, which will be really cool. Um, but maybe we can switch gears just slightly. And I would ask you as somebody who lives in Somerville, why do you think that this happened, if, if it is the first of its kind in the US or in the world or in Massachusetts, do you have any thoughts on why Somerville specifically? Um, what, you know, why of all the places that Somerville happens to be the one where something like this was passed first? Yeah, you know, I think Somerville is a little bit of a, a dark horse bastion of liberalism. Um, it's this interesting collection of uh, working old working class community that, you know, is historically very blue collar, but also, you know, very democratic oriented. Um, a lot of younger people uh, have moved into the city who are, you know, maybe not as affluent uh, of a background to live in Cambridge, where it's a little bit more expensive. Um, and uh, the city just has a, a, a very beautiful collection of a lot of different cultures and a lot of different communities. And um, it's, but it's all low key. So it's, it's like, nobody thinks, oh, Somerville, it's, it's, you know, the East coast of San Francisco. Nobody would ever say that, but, but yet you walk down the street and it's totally normal to see, uh, you know, trans people, uh, you know, same sex relationships, uh, polyamorous throuples walking down the street. And it's just, nobody thinks anything of it. It's not, oh, that's weird. Look, there's this, you know, odd situation over there. It's just Somerville. It's just people living their life and, and going about their life. And I think that's really reflected in the way that this ordinance was passed, which was there was a city councilor who read it. Um, there was no <laughs> there was no public campaign to create this thing. It was a city councilor read it. Um, you know, he knows the people that live in the city. And he's like, well, why would this only be two? And nobody had an answer. They were like, well, well, I don't know. Why not? And they're well, but why? And so they, they rewrote it to make it open it up to more than two individuals. Um, and I think that's just really emblematic of what Somerville's like. It's, it's a very beautiful, low-key community of people who are just accepting of a very broad range of, of lifestyles. I haven't lived in Somerville, but nearby, and that, that echoes, I think, what I've seen um, in not quite as much time there, but I, I really do. I wanted to quote um, from one of the articles I read what um, the city councilor said specifically, just because I think it was a really nice sentiment. And it seemed, it sounds so obvious to me when I read it, and yet there's so many people who wouldn't. Um, what he said in one of his interviews talking about like why this happened is, I've consistently felt that when society and government tries to define what is or is not a family, we've historically done a very poor job of doing so. It hasn't gone well, and it's not a business that government should be in. So that guided my thinking on this. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that applies more broadly than to just this, but I think it was really nice, you know, reading a little more about this to hear somebody in government in, in a position of power to, to make change, I actually just say that um, and to be instituting it. And also, as you said, like there wasn't a campaign or anything like somebody read a read an ordinance that that he didn't feel was fair to his community and then just made it change. And it passed unanimously, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it passed unanimously. And, and the um, the mayor signed it without, you know, comment. And <laughs> frankly, I'm not sure that everybody read it closely enough to understand exactly <laughs> what it was. If I'm being totally honest, because it was so under the radar, I wouldn't be surprised if all of this new co news coverage happened and our mayor Joe 
uh, was like, oh my God, I didn't know I signed that. That wasn't something I thought I was doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's really emblematic. Um, and, and I totally agree with that sentiment. You know, I, and Somerville has its problems just like any other city, right? It's, it's a very historically working class city. And now there's, you know, a, a fairly affluent community that's, you know, around a bunch of research institutions, you know, Tufts University is here. And, and there's also, a, you know, an immigration, com- you know, an immigrant community. And, you know, we definitely have that same history of tension in, in Massachusetts of this, you know, low key racism and, and a lot of other issues that are being, you know, actively addressed right now. And but I think this is, you know, really fits into that idea of, you know, constantly moving forward and Somerville kind of being, you know, right now on the forefront of this. Um, and, and, you know, Somerville back, you know, in the, the first Black Lives Matters protests was, you know, hanging banners, supporting it and was, you know, they've been painting, um, you know, well, I guess Cambridge actually was painting rainbow crosswalks, which is, you know, kind of in the in the same area. And um, yeah, it's just, I, I think it's, you know, very emblematic of, of just the community that we live in. Definitely. Um, it is a, it is very, it's unlike any other place that I've, I've lived and I haven't been, I've only spent some time in Somerville, but um, it is pretty amazing. And to, to go directly to the point, I think I was rambling there for a little bit, um, but go directly to the point of, you know, it not being the government's job to define relationships, you know, that, that, you know, Somerville, just like other cities has, has that history with racism and, and is still struggling with it. And, and that was one of the first, you know, original cases that, you know, found that the government needs to step back from defining relationships. You have, um, you know, it used to be illegal for, um, interracial couples to get married all across the country. And, um, and that was, you know, one of the first steps towards, you know, opening up our concept of what it means to, for the government to be involved in our intimate romantic partnerships. Um, and then since then, obviously, you know, you have, you know, uh, same-sex marriages being legalized at the Supreme Court level. Um, and now you're seeing a push to just totally pull government out of it. And I think that's a really, really good direction to be headed as a society. Absolutely. And I wonder, and, and there may not be an answer to this, um, but if you have any thoughts, you know, clearly this, we're going to see how this plays out and how it's used over time and, and what the real legal impact of this is on on um, partnerships and relationships and on people living in Somerville and around. But sort of more broadly, you know, as we're talking about so many social changes that are happening, so many different issues and, and this question of um, people's rights and and government involvement and regulation being questioned right now. Do you, do you see this sort of as a, as a catalyst or how could you see this maybe, you know, over time sort of moving that needle and pushing those kind of changes on a broader scale forward? It's, it's honestly really hard to say if, if this flies under the radar, it could be a good thing because what we don't want is to see a massive backlash and and to see governments digging their heels in to, to legislate monogamy, which is really has been broadly legislated across, you know, across our entire history, both in this country and, and in Europe and, and all through, you know, recorded history really is, is I guess I, I should not say recorded history because it's really just Western history. Um, but you see this concept of there needs to be these two people that have almost a chattel relationship with each other. Uh, really the, the male having a chattel relationship with the, the female of the, of the two. Um, and I, I, 
am afraid that if this becomes, you know, a, a flashpoint that we could see that concept really, you know, becoming more entrenched in places that are more conservative in the country and, and specifically targeting polyamorous relationships. Whereas if it can more, you know, kind of fly under the radar and just slowly tick away, like maybe we ha have another city that passes an ordinance in a similar way, maybe Cambridge follows suit, maybe Boston, maybe, you know, maybe over in San Francisco and California, you know, some of these jurisdictions that aren't necessarily going to make a big deal out of it can just acknowledge that these relationships already exist, right? These people are living their lives like this, but without the legal protections of having a, you know, city or government recognized relationship. And that that could be a good way to move forward to start to expand our concept of, of what are legally protected relationships. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with you. Um, just from sort of a, not a, I guess a PR standpoint, right? If you, I think sometimes, especially with the way media is consumed and, and the way that things spread, that if it, if it really took off and really gained a lot of headline attention, people would latch onto it and really be scrutinizing everything. Whereas in reality, like you said, a lot of people are living in all sorts of, of relationships of, of all different types and romantic and non-romantic and multiple people doing just fine despite a system that's not really set up for it. And maybe if, if it is now able to be sort of legally enshrined a little bit and things can keep going on without it causing any other issues, then maybe it sets the stage for, for it to broaden slowly rather than getting pushed back and questioned and sort of over-scrutinized. Yeah. And I think there's probably arguments on both sides of that. Um, yeah. You know, to be frank, there's a lot of open questions about what this will look like. Our entire system is not built, is built on the concept of being two individuals. And, and there was a lot of criticism about the uh, same-sex marriage movement, you know, marriage equality movement, which was that um, we were trying to shoehorn this LGBTQ movement into a heterosexual monogamous construct. And, um, you know, being somebody who, uh, you know, is in a, you know, uh, heterosexual presenting relationship, um, I, I understand, you know, it, it bothers me because I don't fit in that construct, but I totally, you know, obviously support the movement, but, you know, that was a, a giant criticism of that. And I think part of that reason is that there's are so many, so many things that we take for granted are, are tied to two people, healthcare benefits being the primary one, which it's interesting how our definition of relationships can, you know, kind of like start to tear down the entire system, uh, that, that we live under, but what does private health insurance look like when you have uh, suddenly, you know, five people living in a polyamorous um, pod, yeah. you know, that our systems are not created to, to understand what that looks like. And, um, you know, frankly, like private insurance might not be able to handle that, right? We might, we might see, um, you know, for instance, you might have to pay taxes on providing that sort of healthcare coverage through an employer. Um, it, employers might not be able to fund or want to fund the extra cost that goes into the third or the fourth partner in a polyamorous pod. Um, you know, these these are things that, or, or or death benefits. You know, for instance, you know, death benefits for someone who's serving in the military, or you know, benefits for life insurance policies, and and you know, we have all of these laws that are structured around the concept of there only being two people that are interested parties, maybe they have children, maybe they have parents or other blood relationships. But the way that property gets passed along and benefits get gets passed from one person to another person is 
just so far away from there being more than two people in that relationship that I think we have a long way to go before we fully embrace that. I hadn't really thought about all of those things. Um, and that's a really good point, I guess. I don't, that's kind of astounding to me, actually. Now that you said it, it makes complete sense, but I had never really thought about how much of our our life and our society and our systems in the U.S. at the moment are so based on that particular view of what a relationship is. Yeah, I guess I guess that's a really good point, that even with this, like there's so many systems that, that still won't be compatible. Um, you know, I've heard other things about, you know, issues with, uh, kids and how that works out if you're in a, in any sort of non-monogamous relationship or um, a triad or, or other configuration and how complicated that can be just in terms of like legal protections for, for parents. If there's, if there's three parents that can be really difficult to navigate um, or if there's a separation or something like that. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really have an answer other than to just, I guess your point is just sort of really important to highlight like how complicated that really is like even though this is such a, a great thing from my perspective that this got passed the reality is it's much more complicated than just oh this is great um do you have any other thoughts on any other challenges that you can think of you know like sort of sticking points or tripping points where you know the the system or, or laws or something are really not going to be able to handle something like this beyond the ones you you mentioned or any other sort of cautions you might have thought of? Yeah, definitely. I, I want to touch back on, you know, kind of what you mentioned about, um, you know, custody over children and stuff like that. There, there's a, um, a great activist. Her name is Diana Adams. She's a lawyer out of New York. Uh, and she runs a center called the Chosen Family Law Center, who's done, you know, way like just excellent research, way far and beyond any knowledge that I could possibly have on this subject as a corporate lawyer here in Massachusetts. Um, and she has developed a lot of form documents and um, ways to approach these other problems that essentially bypass the written law and the other kind of structures in our legal system to try to create things that work for these non-traditional relationship styles. So things like co-parenting agreements, things like um, um, uh, medical proxies, um, you know, drafting wills and inheritance law, you know, in, inheritance contracts and, and things like that, where our laws aren't built to support um, more than one person in a re more than two people in a relationship. So we have to kind of piece these things together to start to get some of the protections that you would have if you were a, uh, you know, hetero, uh, heteronormative or monogamous couple now um, in a relationship that's recognized by the state. And I will put a link in our show notes um, to her for a reference for anybody who listens to this so that you can look up more about that. I think having those resources is so important, um, as well as to another website, which is called uh, polyfriendly.org, um, which is a whole compilation across the U.S. of different resources, which not just legal professionals, but they have a list of legal professionals who specialize in these sort of uh, legal situations um, and working with polyamorous people or anybody in sort of a non-conforming or non-traditional um, relationship structure so that you have resources no matter where you are to, you know, to find somebody to talk to. I guess that sort of brings a point, you know, despite this being a past ordinance, 
would you still think that if you are in a relationship, um, a polyamorous relationship or any other sort of I need a quick way of saying, I don't want to say non-traditional because I don't like that phrasing, but I guess we could say non-traditional, non-conforming relationship. Would you still say that people should really look into legal advice if they're trying to, you know, establish that more significantly, even in Somerville? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the Somerville ordinance is, as far as it goes, is really, it, it's the bare minimum start to even coming close to touching on the privileges that you get being in a monogamous relationship. Um, there's a broad swath of benefits that you get by having a state recognized relationship, which is why we sued, you know, went through the um, process of going to the Supreme court to get the marriage equality movement to, to get um, same sex marriage recognized in the United States is that there's an incredible breadth of benefits that you get by having that. Um, and so it's really important if you are in a, I do like the, the phrase um, non-monogamous, non-conforming relationship, um, because you can be a non-monogamous and conforming if you, you know, generally are in a, um, a marriage where it's just an open marriage. But so if you're in a non-monogamous, non-conforming relationship, um, there are a broad swath of things that you need to think about. Um, one of which being, you know, if you want to have children, what does it look like when, you know, you have a primary couple with, uh, someone else who's, you know, having the child and they're going to live together. Um, some States have third party adoption available, right? So you have the ability to add somebody to, um, you know, to be an additional parent through, you know, whether or not it's at birth or through a third party adoption. Um, but those are not generally tailored to polyamorous relationships themselves. Those are generally tailored to situations where you have a sperm donor or some other, um, you know, some, or, or a divorce or things like that, where there's a third parent who is equally as important in a child's life other than the two biological parents. And so there's ways to shoehorn these things in and to get some of the benefits of being in a non-monogamous, non-conforming relationship. Um, but it's really important to know which ones you need in for your certain circumstances and to um, reach out for legal help to kind of talk through and think about how to protect yourself. Because really being in a, a state recognized marriage or state recognized relationship is really about having protection for when things go wrong. It's not about, oh, yay, I get to carry around the certificate with me. And, and go <laughs> it's OK, shit hit the fan. Now what happens? Divorce is probably the most important right that you get when you have a state sanctioned marriage because you have shared property, you have all of these shared assets, you have children, and somebody needs to make sure that when you now hate each other, you can untie all of that amicably. And, and I think that's, you know, really something important to, to talk to now when things are good to talk to a practitioner that, that understands how to do these things. Okay, those are two really good additions or three. I mean, that's just some really good really good context for it, I think. And um, I wouldn't want anybody to, to see the ordinance and think it's sort of, uh, it's going to completely change life overnight, right? I mean, I think it's really important to keep it in context and keep its limitations in mind for now. And you're definitely helping with that. I guess for you personally, as somebody who is in a non-monogamous, non-conforming relationship, I think I'm going to steal that from you, um, but I'll, I'll credit you with it. Um, this is a good way to describe it. That's a good, that's such a good, like, synopsis of and such a good distinction but for you as somebody who who falls into that type of relationship 
how do you see or do you even see this ordinance as somebody in Somerville impacting you personally um, and your relationships? You know, it's really hard for me to say because, you know, so many of the, the benefits that might come from this are, are, are unknown at this point. Because like I was saying that, you know, our insurance system, for instance, is not set up to understand how to handle this. Um, and if there might be an incongruency between, for instance, you know, state law and, and federal law in the context of how you tax certain benefits if they're given to, you know, outside of a traditional marriage. Um, so it's really hard for me to, to say. And, you know, for full disclosure, I, I am married to my partner, um, even though we're in a, you know, non-monogamous, non-conforming relationship. Um, and so I'm not even sure if I'm able to, to take advantage of this statute because um, generally speaking, if you're already married, you, you can't apply for domestic partnership benefits. Um, and so, and this is actually one of the things that um, Diana Adams talks about a lot, which is that sometimes I could see a, a situation in the future where it might make sense if myself or, or my current partner um, meet somebody equally as important as the other one. Um, and they want to bring that person in as an, an equal addition to our, um, our pod, you know, you might get divorced, right. And you, and you might get divorced for very good and loving reasons to then be able to take advantage of things like applying for, you know, domestic partnership benefits in Somerville. Um, you know, that, that specifically isn't significant enough right now to, to warrant that. But as an example, um, another example could be if one of us met somebody who is on a temporary immigrant visa, um, sorry, a temporary visa, this is a non-immigrant visa. Um, you know, that could be a situation where it might make sense if, you know, if that person could get more benefits than the two of us remaining married, that uh, you might do something like that. So it's hard to say personally at what point it would change the way my relationships look um, right now. I don't really see that being beneficial, but I will say that it makes me feel great to live in Somerville. It makes me feel great to see that, uh, you know, my non-monogamous, non-conforming relationship is reflected in uh, the way that my um, city councilmen see our city. And it, it makes me feel more comfortable to to be who I am with my other relationships and my, uh, my current partner. Um, it just feels good to be in the city. Definitely. I, um, to, to echo that I I'm in the, in the market for a new apartment and I was looking right when I got a text from a friend who's also poly about this, like really excited. And I looked into it and I, I texted one of my partners and said, maybe I should look at apartments in Somerville now, not even <laughs> thinking about like, the legal ramifications so much as just like the fact that it's, it's nice. It would be nice to live in a place where, like you said, like that's just something that's like recognized as as complete, just as you know, valid, and just as recognized as any any other situation. And that was my first thought was I should look for apartments in Somerville um, when that came out. So I think <laughs> it is really, um, yeah, it, it's just such a cool thing um, to be around that. Sort of a broader question. Um, sure. I wonder, and I we, I don't think either of us could answer this, but do you feel like you know, seeing this happen and that it could be showing sort of, sort of a broader shift. Like, do you, do you see a shift in culture or society towards being more accepting of non, non-conforming relationships? Not really, this is not really a legal question, but more sort of a personal experience having, you know, lived and, and I'm sure seen things change. 
Yeah, I would definitely say that. I mean, I've I've been in a you know non traditional relationship with my partner. You know, we we started monogamous, and then you know, as as many stories go, eventually you know we opened up our relationship, and eventually an open relationship turned into polyamorous relationship. Um, and that was I think six years ago at this point. And I'll say from from when when I opened up my relationship and and um, you know became polyamorous and you know brought more people into my life. I was the only, you know, my partner and I were the only people I knew that were in an open relationship. And um, now, I, and I don't think it's because, I don't think it's because I've just, you know, become more ingrained in the community. Now it feels like I meet random people and they're all in open relationships. And maybe that's because I live in Somerville, but <laughs> it just, it just feels like, it, it feels like something that's normal. Um, and now I know that that's not true in many, many parts of the country. We're obviously in a, a liberal bubble here in Somerville obviously because of the ordinance, but also just generally speaking, Massachusetts is more like that. Um, but I definitely see it, you know, when I, when I've talked to, you know, my, uh, parents or my friends who are, you know, don't live in, um, Massachusetts and, um, people aren't surprised. They're not confused anymore. When you say non-monogamy, people kind of understand it. They understand. It seems like people understand that you're not necessarily some weirdo anymore. And, and I think that's a huge step, right? It's, it's like, you know, um, it's how a lot of other other movements, you know, became more accepted was that people stopped thinking of them as being weird and being odd. And and I think definitely feels like that's the direction that we're headed. That's awesome. I we can only hope. I mean, I I agree with you, and I and I hope it's a trend that we keep seeing move move forward. Um, and and then we'll see what happens. And and you know, I'll be honest. It, these movements and generally speaking, acceptance of new cultures and new lifestyles or different cultures or what, you know, I, I don't know if I'd consider this a culture, but different lifestyles and different approaches to um, living a fulfilled life. You know, these movements move slowly and they swing. There's a pendulum. And so I think given how horrible so many things are right now in this country and, and uh, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement and with um, our horrendous approach to uh, COVID-19. Um, you know, I think these liberal enclaves are, are opening their minds more to many, many other things. I won't be surprised if when things settle down more, if there's a swing back in the other direction where people are like, okay, well, that was all well and good and it seemed fine, but now I'm uncomfortable. And and we'll see. I don't know. Oftentimes it's how it goes. And, and I hope that I hope that we don't see that with this, but I also won't be surprised if we do. You can find Polly Pages on Instagram at Polly Pages. And if you have any questions or comments for us, please feel free to send them to polypages at gmail.com. Our awesome intro and outro music is by Mint Green, and you can follow them on Instagram and Linktree at Mint Green Music. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Books. <laughs>